This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Chocolate Syrup! Everyone, welcome to Watches of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that you can shed like a second skin. My mm. name is Gef, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izex. Hi! And we got here. Everyone knew it was coming to this in the first yep. season because, you know, there's a character in the first season that stops being and the rest of the show. Indeed. And, uh, you know, it's not, you know, the... Uh you know, the quirkiness of being basically uh, a TUS uh, series. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we've gotten to Skin of Evil. Um, I don't know if people consider this to be the worst episode. It's definitely down there. It's pretty superfluous aside from needing to get rid of a character. Well, I find a couple things interesting about it, but most of them tend to be the, okay, this is something where they're actually utilizing this character well here. Well, be nice if it was better connected, you know, you know, to thing other things that are working in the episode. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah, there is um, there is. Uh, so I would say it's it's uh, it has some good elements. Just they're kind of just jumbled all together. Mm-hmm. So some background, of course. Uh, Denise Crosby, who plays Tashiar, was somewhat unhappy with the way her character was being used. She felt like she didn't really have much going. Mm-hmm. Um, the entire production at this point was so massively underfunded and things that uh they 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 were stealing craft services from other productions around like i've heard interviews and things from the first season that was not going well (laughs) yes so it's like well uh we have our sets and uh, we got our actors and uh what else do we got uh electricity for a little bit i guess (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um crosby asked if she could be let out of her contract and to facilitate that they decided to do an episode where they just killed off her character which is a bit mean considering literally any other time they remove a character in the show they're just transferred or something yes or you know go off to starfleet academy yeah so it's just like okay we're killing off the character there's no chance of you coming back well uh this is kind of brutal uh yeah, it's a, it's a little. I guess it's a little unsettling that this is that 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 one moment. So yeah, basically this entire episode was there to get rid of a character, and that's why it doesn't hold together particularly well. Yeah, it's like as I said, you know, there's some interesting elements, but and it kind of feels like all right, well, we kind of have to do X. Um, we need to sort of fill in the other details. Uh. What are some things we wanted to do, but we haven't had a good chance to actually do yet? <laughs> like, oh, well, uh, we'll have a, a good moment between uh, Tasha and Worf. And, uh, uh, you know, Troy's going to have, uh, you know, an interesting conversation about, you know, uh, an antagonist and their internal psychology. And and uh, Picard's going to give himself a speech and be kind of stern about stuff. And, well, we get plenty of that elsewhere. You know, it's still fun to do, I guess. But, you know. Well, that's really sad because, yeah, there's there's a couple of good scenes like between Tasha and Worf at the beginning of the episode. And even Denise Crosby said, like, if people had been writing Tasha Yar like that the entire series, she wouldn't have left. Indeed. Yeah. But as it has been, you know, she and Worf have been kind of just sort of background characters, barely above extras. 
yeah so who knows what would happen if she'd hung around for season two when they started to actually figure stuff out but mm-hmm. this is what we got yes so this episode was written by one joseph william stefano who is best known for adapting the book version of psycho into the hitchcock film huh i missed that bit whoops <laughs> he also is a known, well known for producing for producing and co-writing the original Outer Limits TV series. Hmm, yes. Uh, he's also involved in uh, Swamp Thing. Which seems apt. Yes, I, I believe this is the only uh, TNG episode that they uh, touched, and uh, I don't think they touched any other uh, Star Trek, uh, really, so. Yeah, I don't think so. So we've got a couple of guest stars. Two of them are the same person, which is interesting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird when you can we- do that sometimes. <laughs> We have Mart McKenzie, who is playing Armus the Body. Yes, Armus the Body. Uh, like a wafer, but more slick and oily. Um, yeah, uh, he's he's one of those actors with a lot of very, very heavily prosthetic appearances. He's like there, there are certain actors whose specialty is I am the person you bring in when you want someone to be under super heavy prosthetic makeup because it is incredibly difficult to do. Yes, and uh, as such, uh, he probably doesn't get as much credit for uh, you know his uh, acting chops as uh, you know a lot of other folks go uh, get, because you know sometimes they forget to mention that he's in something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's <laughs> another. He was in another blobby, blobby makeup in uh, something called Incense of Command, Incense of Command, which I haven't uh, seen. I don't think. I have, uh, you know, there's a, uh, I believe the uh, the plot revolves around, there's uh, some one? non-humanoid aliens there coming oh, right. to the planet, yeah, okay. and there's, yeah, there's I remember bu- these you know, things. Yeah, a bunch of humans on the planet, and the aliens are like, but you told us we could add this planet, so we're just going to kill everybody there, and you know. Okay, we, that remember, yeah, now I remember. <laughs> and then, you know, he played the blobby alien that they were talking to. <laughs> yeah, so there's another blobby alien, I mean, that one looks more like a dude under a sheet, now it's yeah. coming back to me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they bring him on to play faceless aliens. Then Ron Gaines uh, is the voice of Armus. The voice. So there. He's a well-known voice actor. He was the voice of um, one of the characters in Transformers, someone called Dragstrip. I don't know Transformers well enough. Yeah, same. So I'm, I'm guessing, though, it was some sort of vehicle. He was <laughs> uh, an orangutan in Dumbo's Circus, which I've never heard of. Yes, uh, which was a mid-80s cartoon. I'm guessing Disney related. (laughs) And he played Eeyore in a puppet version of Winnie the Pooh. Ah. Also, uh, you know, before all of that, uh, a bunch of random sort of uh, side and background characters. Uh, You know, quite often, you know, just the voice. uh, Like a a creature from Lost in Space from the episode Space Creature. (laughs) Or Frog Alien from the same series from The Golden Man. Yeah, so you know a lot of behind the scenes sort of uh, you know uh, un, un no face version so for both these uh, actors here. And then we also have a, another human character for this for some reason because we needed more people in this weird story. I guess I can, I honestly watched this a little bit ago to write the script, and I very literally did not remember there was another character in this until i was reading this rundown just now so i guess he makes an impression (laughs) (laughs) so uh walker bone plays leland t lynch who's an engineer in the episode um he's been in a lot of smaller tv shows and movies and 
uh, what I knew him from was later voicing Mario in the adventures of Super Mario Brothers 3, the TV show. Super Mario! Boo, do, 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 do. And he also came back for Super Mario World. Do, 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 do. Yeah. I don't know how he was able to do that Chris Pratt impression, but yeah. <laughs> it's a stone, Luigi. Right, that's it. That's the guest stars. We have very few people this week. Well, there was uh, the uh, the the pilot from the the runabout, but he just kind of is unconscious the entire episode. So yeah, you don't even really see his face. He's just unconscious the entire time. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, you know, it might have been you know because you know uh, it's just the red shirt of the episode. And it's like if I don't move, they think I'm already dead. Maybe I'll survive. <laughs> okay, so we may as well jump in because I don't know. I don't know this episode, man. Just. <laughs> yeah well, we'll, I'll be we'll honest, i wasn't looking forward to this one we'll, we'll we'll stumble through it don't worry so the enterprise is en route to rendezvous with the shuttle that was carrying diana troy who's been at a conference for something probably something they, psychology uh, related yeah they're moving at impulse because they're doing maintenance on the dilithium crystals mm-hmm. it's important somehow on the bridge there's a bit of a nice interaction with Worf and yar talking about an upcoming martial arts competition that she's been training for she's worried about her opponents but Worf is like no you're gonna beat them all up also it's for the honor of the ship and your favorite in the pool yeah <laughs> and she's like wait you're, you're betting on me it's like yeah it's like guaranteed come on <laughs> so this means i guess two important things that one Worf is not participating uh possibly because you know he's worried that he get beat up by her uh and two uh you know she has Worf's respect and you know you know when you sort of get further into the you know the series and things like that you know uh Worf respecting someone as a warrior is kind of like a big deal so you know i know it's very sad that because she's leaving the show in this episode we never get to have the entirely unanswered question who would win in a fight Worf or yar yes (laughs) (laughs) you know uh at at this point it seems that Worf is kind of leaning on on yar being the victor but you know later on we don't know because you know Worf does you know level up effectively so so when they're about an hour away from the shuttle, they receive a distress call. The shuttle's had a systems failure, is unable to confirm their location, losing flight control, etc., etc. Card orders the new chief engineer, Lynch, to get warp power back, meaning they need to align the warp crystals manually. Hmm. This seems like a tricksy thing, because, you know, we got a high precision, uh, uh, precision uh, you know, you know, reactor system that effectively bends space and time uh you know in order to uh warp space you know subspace around the the ship in order to make it go faster than light this is sort of like one of those things you don't really want to a lot uh fiddle with by hand you want to have at least some you know idea about uh you know exact precision and all that sort of stuff but i guess you know if you just kind of like well whatever that's Apparently fine you too. can maybe yeah. that's what the chief engineer is in charge of i don't know i just yeah. got this very this like mental image of him just having to like jab a wrench into the warp core and you know yeah, pilot cr- the thing around it's like yeah a little bit left all okay. right it's 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 giving me a little vibrations that's not good okay back okay there we go <laughs> so the shuttle becomes trapped in the planet's gravity well and then they lose contact they're gonna burn up in the atmosphere aren't they probably i mean these shuttles seem to be designed for crashing they do it a lot yeah <laughs> Uh, Lynch is able to get the engines working, and they're able to warp off to the planet just in time to find the shuttle. Hmm. So, yay. When they've arrived, they have trouble finding anything on the planet. There's no life signs. There's some debris. 
but there's something kind of blocking the shuttle. So well, that's weird. Hmm. Maybe there's some sort of uh, you know uh, crazy metal because we run into those occasionally in space. Uh, apparently, uh, that uh, you know was potentially valuable, and maybe there's going to be like a, a gold rush situation here. But first, uh, be, you know. It's, ships start warping in and realizing what was discovered you know we still got to get our shuttle out but they're like we're going to start mining now and we're going to start shooting lasers at the planet and then beaming stuff up and like could you not but that's a completely <laughs> different plot that i don't think they've actually done technically huh so they um can't beam anyone out of the shuttle is the practical upshot of this so reichner has to go down to the way team with data yar and dr crusher in case anybody's injured yes but you know, so they beam pressure. down to a big barren rock. The shuttle's buried under more rocks, and the team approach. The team approaches to find an oil slick between them and the ship. Oh no! They the, try to the... go around it, but the oil slick actually moves as they do to continue blocking them. Hmm. Wait. Uh, is this a ferro? Uh, uh, you know, a liquid here. Uh, there are any of us magnetic? We could be just pulling it along as we go around. That is true. Maybe data's magnetic. Yeah. <laughs> so this doesn't make any sense, because according to data, there's no sign that the thing is alive in any way, except that it moves and is responding to their actions. Hmm. So he can theorize that it is, in fact, a life form, which is pretty confirmed when the oil slick starts insulting him. Hmm. Well, I guess, uh, you know, if, uh, it's, it's probably good then that he did call it a life form because, you know, if he's like, oh, this is not a life form, then the insults might have been much worse, much more harmful. Um, a big, drippy humanoid raises up from the oil. Yeah, as oil monster. does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This whole episode is just a metaphor for the oil industry. <laughs> Great. We're going to have the oil uh, barons after us now. <laughs> So Riker tries to reason with the oil mar with the oil monster who identifies himself as Armus. The away team asks to get by, but Armus says no and is annoyed. They want to save the shuttle and that they say they value all life, etc. Armus does not share this opinion. He's like, no, I don't value life. I kill people for fun. Ha ha. Hmm. Oh, well, uh, well, in that case, maybe we should like, I don't know, leave for the moment and think about this. You'd think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yar gets annoyed with this and starts to just walk to the shuttle. But Armus hits her with an energy bolt that sends her flying. They shoot Armus. It doesn't do anything. He just absorbs it. Uh, Crusher gets to Yar and confirms that she is dead. Oh no! That's it. Just, yeah. Just, just out of nowhere, all dead. Bye. Yeah. Like, and like we're in the first, you know, few minutes of the episode here. So mm -hmm. yeah, this is. You know, uh, usually on Star Trek, this means that uh, we're going to come up with a miracle cure and uh, bring her back to life. Or, uh, you know, she's mostly dead, but, you know, there's going to be a, a last minute recovery or, you know, there's going to be, um, you, know, you know, they're going to convince Armus to bring her back to life after the commercial break. Uh, and Armus is going to be like, ha ha ha, sure, but only so I can make you suffer. Blah. Now, but, they beam everyone back and Yar's dead dead. Too, yes. too damaged to be revived. Yes, uh, super dead. Like, your, your brain is depolarizing, and I don't know what that means exactly, but I'm guessing it involves, like, all the, you know, neurons in your head are just detaching from everything. So. As far as I understand, that's what happens when you have a migraine. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, migraine. that bad, honestly. <laughs> it means you've been attacked by an oil monster, Gep one. <laughs> oh, no. So, so be careful. Now, this is um, really sudden character death. It's supposed to be shocking. Uh, it's They don't do it well. And 
I want to say that like I previously had kind of mildly defended Roddenberry's take on this, which is, you know, as a security officer in the unpredictableness of space, like death is just sudden and abrupt and possibly meaningless and that that's appropriate to show on screen. Um, you could do that. That's not what was done here. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen this episode in too long. And while I do think that there's a valid argument to have that you can show death as a sudden out of nowhere thing as it's not often depicted in film uh yes. they don't there's no weight there's no emotional weight to this somehow well i don't it, know enough about filmmaking to know what they did wrong but they did it <laughs> well i think part of it is sort of the reaction to by the characters you know around the death uh that yeah, at a certain level yeah there's you know the next you know scene coming up where you know uh, they're you know, they're upset around the uh, the conference table, but Picard's like, "All right, step upper lip, everyone. We gotta like do our mission here, and so uh, you know, stop act- reacting to the obvious uh, death of your friend here." So yeah, they're a bit too good at the we just have to do the job that's in front of us thing. Mm-hmm. Which you know, it, it, I guess that's sort of like a Starfleet ethos to a certain degree, but you know, it makes everyone a little too inhuman to uh what's happened so you know it's it's yeah it, it, it makes it like not in total work at all so back on the planet armis oozes over to the shuttle and starts talking to troy armis wants to send her into despair <laughs> the crew's never coming back and he killed yara for no reason and how does that make you feel ha Troy, however is not breaking and not playing along and armis gets annoyed mm-hmm uh, so, uh, you know, Troy's pretty good at annoying him. And uh, uh, it, uh, this is sort of, you know, the beginning of sort of her arc through this uh, episode where, you know, there's you know, some good banter here and she's sort of probing at him. But Armis is not having any of it right now. So back on the ship, they're all upset about Yar's sudden death and how it's pointless and whatever. But as you said, Picard goes, nope, we have to do do what we're doing. Stop it. Um, Worf now is head of security that is as it will be for the rest of the series until we get to DS9 mm-hmm. Riker goes back down this time with Geordi hopefully to get a better look at the thing um, because somehow their scanners never work as well as Geordi's visor does yes <laughs> yeah, I guess there may be a certain thing with uh, their scanners where it's like all algorithmed up that it's like alright well it's, it'll tell me if this is X or Y and if it's neither and it's confused, it'll give me a unknown sample sort of uh, uh, reaction here. And I'll look on all confused like, well, Jordy's like, I have a little bit more brains than a tricorder. So I'll, my, I'll just sort of look at this thing as like, OK, I get a general feel of what's going on. Yeah, maybe you can interpolate the data better because it's an actual brain. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, they never explain it. It's just better technology somehow. Yes. <laughs> I think it's interesting because any other series, like later ones or something, this would have been like, he has a unique whatever, whatever device that we found in the wreckage of an ancient alien spacecraft and we can never replicate and whatever, whatever. <laughs> this is just like, it just works different. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> so, you know, we don't have to worry about, you know, having it be tech of the week that suddenly goes away, but we'll ignore it plenty of, th- you know, like going forward anyway. So, you know. Mm-hmm. So they arrive to find Armas covering the shuttle. Inside, they're trying to torment Troy more. Armist is surprised that the crew returned, that Troy guesses that this is because he was left alone by someone who didn't return. He goes, rah, stop knowing who I am. Go away. Ah, how dare you know that I'm a, a, a lonely kind of asshole here? 
Uh, back on the ship, Worf has detected that the energy field that's preventing them from just beaming Troy out has weakened when Armas draped over the shuttle. They're not sure why, but they'll keep seeing if there's a pattern. Possibly hmm. the energy thing is weakened when Troy annoys him. Yes. So uh, they keep an eye out. Yeah, yeah, keep an eye on this graph, graph all the same here. Look at this graph. Armas uh, teases the away team. He lets them talk to Troy for a minute, then gets like angry or something. Data can't detect them. Um, he yells about Data's instruments and sends them flying around. Uh, he makes Jordy's visor fall off, and then they do the "haha, you can't find your glasses" thing. Yeah, and uh, you know, Data's like, uh, "All right, uh, I'm going to. I, I can't physically help him, but I can tell him where it's at." And Armus moves it, and you know, you know, as Jordy sort of starts, you know, reaching for that, you know, bit of ground there, and it's like, "Well, yeah, go ahead and help him again." And Data's like, "Nah." Mm. Yeah, they give up trying to play along, and he gets bored. Mm-hmm. Armist just, just gets bored, and uh, then moves back to the shuttle. Well, hmm. Well, that was uh, unproductive, but I guess we know that he gets bored. That's something. So since Troy was right that the crew won't amuse Armus, uh, we've now unlocked Armus' backstory. Dun-dun-dun! <laughs> So what so is his backstory? <laughs> well, apparently there used to be people who lived here on this barren rock, and they did something that purged themselves of evil, and eventually creating a second skin, like a skin of evil, as you mm. might say. Yes. And uh, something then, that you can just pull off, I guess. Yeah. Then they left, and Armus was alone. Hmm, Troy gonna... pities Armus, and they get angry and run off to absorb Commander Riker. Hmm. Well, uh... Well, I, I guess uh, that it would be the right person to target to, uh, you know, get under uh, 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 Troy's skin there, you know, do their whole past relationship. But to, to a certain degree, it's sort of like, okay, so you've absorbed Riker. So does that mean he's dead too? No. <laughs> nope. Only one character death per episode. Yeah. Yes. So he, he's trapped inside arms, though, which leads Picard to beam down and try to negotiate face to face. Armus is initially pleased that he has a new person to play with, but then it's like this person is just stoic and boring. <laughs> well, uh, is this what everyone's like out in space? Huh. Maybe, maybe I'm better off here. Uh, Armus decides to force Data to grab a phaser with his mind powers. Uh, starts threatening Picard and Crusher. They say Crusher needs to pick who dies, and she goes, "Oh, I am the one who needs to die." But that's no fun. So. Yeah. Also, Data doesn't feel bad about being forced to kill because not only does he have no emotions, but also it wouldn't be his decision if yeah, Armus is forcing him to do it. Yeah, so, you know, Data realizes I have no moral responsibility here, so... Regards <laughs> done with this, demands to see his people. Armus uh, is still bored, but spits out Riker to show he's alive. Picard orders them all to beam away, leaving just him and Armus. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, Armus, you uh, wanted to be amused. Well, guess what? That ain't happening. So Armus is now willing to negotiate that everyone's gone. They want off the planet. They're lonely. They want to leave. Card says he'll consider it, but they need to let him see Troy. Armus transports him to the shuttle. Which I didn't know. You can just transport people. He's a super powerful goo yes. monster. Well, also, but also the very sort of limited range. So, you know, he can't like teleport himself off the planet, but, you know, he can beam people around just, you know, that area of, of the, of the set. 
So, Picard asks Troy if she knows why Armas seems to be getting weaker when they're talking to her. She says that Armas is filled with rage. They mostly suppress it inside, but when they express it, they lose power. So, you know, holding in your emotions gives you power. We're working under Matilda rules here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, uh, Armas uh, would be, you know, in terms of uh, the force here, he'd be, oddly enough, more on the Jedi side. While, uh, you know, his, his uh, releasing his rage actually makes him weaker. Huh. Now, Picard is transported back out. Armas wants to leave now. Picard says, no. Armas is weak and fragile and lying to themselves and, you know, just prods at him until he gets angry. Mm -hmm. Morph sees the energy field dropping, sets the transporter to automatically beam up the crew as soon as it drops to a low enough level. Hmm. Oh, that's, that's uh, you know, quite clever, Worf. Uh, and it's, it's good you stayed up here to be all, like, tactical position, not necessarily point phases at uh, people sort of uh, position here. Good work. Yeah, there's some thinking. Yeah. Picard tells Armas that they're not evil. Not really. Their real evil is to submit to something like them. Hmm. Like, yeah, Armas could kill them all, but then they'd still be alone. You know, what good yeah. that's going to do, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Armas, you really need to, like, learn to work with people. Just threatening and killing them is just, it just makes you a jerk. and No one wants to deal with you. So, Armas gets angry. The energy levels drop. Picard and Troy are beamed back to the ship, leaving Armas alone again. They set a quarantine for the planet, so no one else will go near here, though. D to be fair, they didn't try to. They crashed. Mm -hmm. well, there's, there's maybe an implication that Armas was able to like interfere with the shuttle systems, maybe, or it just was a random crash because space happens sometimes. So now that that's all dealt with, they all move off to Yar's funeral. Yara's recorded her own goodbye because she knows she's in a dangerous job. So she's recorded a holographic message for everyone. Yes. There's some stuff like how Troy let her fit in and not be weak. How Worf is basically the same character as her. Uh, how Data sees things with the wonder of a child, which is very creepy given other things we know about those two. Yep. It's like... Uh... So, uh, Data, there's a reason I said uh, it never happened, because I'm creeped out now. And Picard's the father she never had. Except since she's never had a father, maybe not. Yes, so, uh, you're, I think you might be a dad-like character in my life, but I don't know. They're all sad. Also, Wesley's there. Yeah, for some reason. He's just there. Yeah, he, he needs to get a check for this week. Uh, they're all sad. Data wonders if he's supposed to be thinking about how much he'll miss your and Picard goes well yeah that's what the whole thing's for dude mm-hmm <laughs> uh, it's like you you totally get it data you're like becoming more human by uh by realizing that uh, also uh, uh, uh Troy was uh, kind of uh you know teary-eyed in this uh, scene here and that's not like fake tears that's actually uh, uh Marina Sirtis like actually cry because you know she what was going to miss uh, uh miss uh, Denise Crosby Mm, because the other woman on the show is gone now. Yeah. Just left with the doctor who's not in every episode. Mm -hmm. Everyone does. Everyone makes fun of this scene just because for some reason Yar knew where everyone was going to stand. You don't think they could program a hologram to like <laughs> face people? Yeah. <laughs> for emotional impact? Come on. Yeah. It, it makes, you know, makes sense that that be a part of the, uh, you know, goodbye program to direct me at the person who I'm addressing if they are present. Yeah, and you could do that. 
And, you know, you could also have it so that, you know, you address the people that are present. So if someone's not in attendance or there's people there that, you know, aren't in this particular scene, the message would have been, you know, what came out of the hologram would have been different, you know? So, Skin of Evil, what did we think? Oh, I shared most of my thoughts uh, previously, but uh, I guess on a, a, a fresh watching, uh, given... You know how much other Star Trek I've uh, seen. It is not terrible, but also below average, I suppose you could say. Yeah, and in the meta context of the series, a bad move. Uh, you know, to uh, basically make things so insufferable that they lose somebody, uh, and then have to make a kind of meh episode to uh, sort of cover it. So yeah, general badness, but uh, as I said, there are nuggets of good stuff going on here. Yeah, there's some good character stuff, which is disappointing because if they knew how to write the characters, they could have made it better overall. Mm-hmm. And they just perfunctorily had to get rid of a character. Yes, it's like we <laughs> which is to... interesting. Yeah. You know, I, I do... f- no, go ahead. <laughs> it's really interesting because a friend of mine pointed out that um we're kind of numb to this now because there's you know there's entire series that are based on the idea of killing off main characters mm-hmm. and with serialized tv like this has become very very commonplace but back then in the late 80s when this episode came out killing off a character in a long-running syndicated tv show like this was the first season but still uh, it was basically unheard of. Indeed. It's sort of a, uh, wow, this is both shocking and means that anyone could potentially die, not just in this episode, but in the series in general. Uh, and I guess this is sort of one a, a thing that uh, was also sort of, uh, I guess, uh, renowned for, uh, that Babylon 5 was renowned for, that, you know, characters, you know, are not immune to uh, the plot happening and causing them bad stuff. Either, you know, massive character changes, you know, scars and things like that, uh, or, you know, outright death. Um, but, uh, you know, here, you know, that, you know, but Babylon 5 was, you know, mid-90s. This was, you know, a few years back before then, where it was sort of like, yeah, that just didn't happen. Yeah, which also, while it's really interesting, it also just makes it so much more disappointing that it didn't have the emotional impact that it should have mm-hmm. because you did kill a character in a time when that was a massive deal. Yeah. Well, I, I guess maybe one explanation for why there is not as much of a emotional impact here, you know, outside the universe stuff I mentioned earlier uh, is that they didn't really know how to write that yet. <laughs> That is true, because they wouldn't have had a lot of experience. Yes. <laughs> you know, if this was a little bit more common by this point, you know, maybe they would have some more clues that, oh, we should really have some things where maybe most of the characters are sort of, you know, nose the grindstone, let's get this stuff done. Uh, but, you know, maybe one or two people are having a harder time with it. Um, you know, especially, say, a younger character like uh, Wesley, who is like, this... Tosh is dead. I, I'd like to help you, Worf, but I don't know if I can right now. And uh, and then you know, Worf 
who you know maybe is still you know you know you know uh, struggling himself here uh, is like all right I'm going to help you to help myself you know not focus on it and you know we'll solve this problem and get our people out and you know there, there could have been some good sort of uh, interactions there between these two characters that don't normally have any reason to interact uh, you know uh, you know there uh, and. But as what we get is that they're just kind of working on the computer. Wesley's like, I'm being computer kid here. And Worf's looking over his shoulders and pointing at graphs. It's like, okay. I think that, you know, thinking about it, the main the main issue that they have with, with not being able to handle this well is this weird other plot line that they have in there for some reason. They, you could have done... A much better episode on this if you had her die actually getting Troy out of a dangerous situation mm -hmm. and then the rest of the episode is everyone dealing with that yeah like, instead yeah. of having a completely disconnected thing they barely even mention Yar for the rest of the episode while they're dealing with Armas and then right at the end they have the funeral it's like, oh yeah, we need to like resolve that other thing that happened. I guess, but yeah, I, I think you're quite right, uh, and uh, it'd be a, a chance to sort of look into things like survivors, uh, survivors' guilt, not only for you know the you know, you know the, the crew in general, but how uh, Troy is sort of dealing with that as the person who was rescued. Uh, so you get the situation where this is a character that's supposed to be helping everyone else deal with their grief who is maybe the hardest hit because of you know how in the situation they were. So yeah, the overall, you have main character death as a B-plot. Mm -hmm. And then something largely unintelligible as an A-plot. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, we got this this uh, plot with evil cast-offs here. Uh, do we ever figure out who was responsible for this no it's just sort of there and you got to piss it off and then it loses power i guess which they did <laughs> as a like they did this as an episode of rick and morty they feel like i actually explored the concept <laughs> i don't think i've seen that episode <laughs> <laughs> they purge all of the unwanted things from themselves and create gooey versions of themselves with all their negative aspects hmm. Well, uh, I guess that you know there's a uh, a bit of a you know character exploration to be done there. Not only to what are their negative aspects, but maybe what they think their negative aspects are. Yeah, that was the main thing that they had in the, in the episode, actually. Yeah, <laughs> which is actually something I wanted to talk about a little bit uh, with uh, the you know uh, Armus as a character here. That uh, you know Armus is you know this entity of supposed ultimate all the evil bits of a whole bunch of people. Uh, so what, what does that mean in terms of, you know, what they were actually casting out? Apparently mm -hmm. sadism, uh, they didn't want to be dealing with here. Uh, you know, boredom is also one of them. Maybe because <laughs> Armus is bored. You know, just living on a planet with no one to talk to or torture, you know? And so, uh, maybe that was another thing that they, uh, cast away. So, uh, yeah, they're, uh, so you get a lot of very unbored monks somewhere who just sit around not being bored all day. Yep. <laughs> uh, and what else? Uh, I guess, uh, you know, uh, 
there's a certain amount of rage, of course, uh, but also certain amount of controlling that rage. So, uh, you know, does this mean that these uh, monks somewhere are full of rage uh, because, you know, they don't think that's, you know, uh, you know are, and are willing to express it uh, and, uh, you know, because they think exp- uh, keeping it in is bad or do they have no rage but also have dropped the part that would have let them suppress it as well? Well, possibly they valued showing emotions and not suppressing them and the only emotion that this dude got was rage and Mm -hmm. anger so now he just suppresses that all the time and they're off not suppressing all their other emotions yes (laughs) so i I guess i'm uh you know trying to think you know what uh, sort of uh, species out there might be uh uh you know fitting the uh has not these traits sort of things here as far as our various uber beings you run into uh and my best guess is probably the organians hmm (laughs) <laughs> they're like yeah we're just kind of chill all the time and we don't want to be angry at people and you know we're gonna like be all like oh you're uh you're doing some mean stuff here that's not cool but you know we're not really gonna be angry about it <laughs> just you know disappointed interesting idea yeah <laughs> they are the evolved non-corporeal beings etc so you know, Armus could be the uh, the the the, the, uh, the castoffs, the leavings of the Organians. <laughs> Which one were they? Which episode were they in? Where's the thing? Errand of Mercy. There it was. Yeah. So you uh, can go they... back and listen to that if you want to hear yeah. about all the Organians, <laughs> which show up for like ten minutes at the end. You know. Yeah. Well, they were technically there earlier. You just didn't know what they were about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, though uh, Organians do show up in uh, Enterprise for an episode. Yeah, of course they do. Uh, and, and sort of a, uh, a sort of prime directive episode after, a, a you know, a, a fashion that, uh, they, uh, are visiting the ship in order to observe how the, sh- uh, the crew deals with a particular sort of problem that may very well get them all killed. Hmm. I don't remember yes. that one. I don't, I only saw Enterprise once. Uh, and, uh, they're basically body hopping between various characters, uh, because that's what they want to do here as opposed to manifesting, you know, elsewise. Uh, <laughs> I guess they didn't want to hire actors. <laughs> want a bottle show and, uh, yeah, that's about it. You need a bottle show. So everyone act weird. <laughs> I thought it was kind of interesting to look at the idea. This thing is like, this is the manifestation of evil, the, the actual, you know, physical thing that is evil because you know of course evil is a broad universal human concept that we've been trying to work out since the beginnings of history and philosophy and whatever right indeed uh in fact uh you know i have a few tabs here just like all right here's a list of philosophers talking about and trying to define it and how they can you know disagree and what things are you know a little bit more common but not necessarily and what they think about motivation or, you know, lack of motivation and natural versus moral, et cetera, et cetera, sort of stuff here. Well, what I thought was very interesting is evil as concept, of course, has existed for as long as we've got written philosophy in one way or another. Yes. Um, we got the Greeks dealing with it, et cetera, et cetera. But evil, the concept that we think of now is actually incredibly recent and mostly entered writing uh, following world war ii it's like well that really sucked uh maybe we should try to re-understand evil because wow well you have this this interesting thing because 
evil is not in fact a universal concept when you are dealing with it in philosophy and mm -hmm. there's kind of a pre and post world war ii split so you have kind of the broad understanding of evil which is kind of anything bad that ever happens yes a, a hurricane can be evil even though it's not done by anyone or someone kind of like lying to you about something that doesn't really matter can be evil like a, a moral agent like philosophy is very concerned with the idea of a moral agent which is anything that is a moral being that can think and make its own decisions so indeed someone yeah. who's capable of of not doing bad things and chooses to do a bad thing that is evil as a moral agent is doing it etc now was it so, uh was this uh aristotle socrates plato i think it's plato actually uh, who's like you know sort of made a clear you know division between uh you know the moral agent sort of side of things and everything else that yeah, yeah these things cause sure plato. you know uh, evil effects but we can't really, you know, blame anyone for them, so we're not going to worry too much about them. But that's evil in the broad philosophical and theological sense. Any mm -hmm. bad thing that happens. Yes. It's very tied to this problem of evil argument that you get into with religion. Of If there is a good all-knowing God, then why do bad things happen? It's that kind of evil. Yes. Yeah, well... Uh, uh, and then, you know, you got your cosmic clockmaker who is now hands-off sort of stuff here and uh, can factor into all that for the, the natural side. And, uh, you know, I gave you free will. So anything you choose to do that's evil, that's on you guys. The idea of evil as we understand it and largely what they're dealing with in this episode, because, you know, Armas is a evil being. It does terrible things to people for no reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but specifically to people saying that they're making the choice to do so. Yeah, I have, is, uh, you know, Armus wants something, and that is to see people suffer for his amusement. Yeah, so he chooses to make them suffer. This is a much more recent, very narrow idea of evil, which came about after World War II. This is a moral agent is doing something unimaginably bad. Mm-hmm. And also, it is evil in distinction to bad, not the encompassing of bad, like the broad sense of evil where, you know, a hurricane is a bad thing that happens and is part of the general evil of the world. Yes. But this is distinct from bad. Someone lying to you about whether or not they cut in line is bad but not evil. Someone killing someone is evil. There is a distinction in the levels of harm being done to, given the action. Indeed. This philosophy came about after World War II, obviously because we had to start dealing with the idea that really, really, really horrible things happened during World War II. This you is know. the idea of evil where people are trying to wrestle with why are moral beings doing genocides why would anyone do a terrorist attack like how how is the serial killer working like where what is this horrible horrible thing that is such a breach of what we would think of as normal morality that it becomes distinct from wrong or bad so you get uh you know uh, people i guess you know to a certain degree who were taught that evil is also those cut in line situations 
now realizing, oh, there's like a whole other degree of just the worst here that was completely unimaginable given what we had been sort of seeing, at, you know, as the evils of the world. So having a sort of, a, you know, a separation you know, between those now, you know, makes sense because otherwise... You know, you, you're, you're stuck sort of like, yes, you know, this mild inconvenience is the same sort of level of, uh, you know, uh, you know, something that we should be rejecting as this mass murder of millions of people. And that's ridiculous. Yeah, you can't really go, well, genocide is just part of the general evil because the general evil also includes a tornado. Mm -hmm. But a genocide is planned. It's thought out. It's it's systematized. Yes. You know, there is you know multiple actors involved here there is people that uh, are you know you know causing it to happen via their will people that are allowing it to happen via inaction uh, and uh, the lack of will of uh, to oppose it uh, as well as uh, plenty of people that you know it's like oh this actually I've been convinced that this is a good idea about the instigators and so I will uh, pursue it uh, along with them because you know I can get away with that now um, and yeah, all of that is just so much, you know, you know uh, extra on top of everything uh, that, you know, there is definitely a, uh, a moral damage that is uh, sort of, you know, uh, being sort of exposed here that, you know, you know, not only allows but requires people to take these horrible actions because they think it's a good idea now. Which is actually kind of interesting. This is obviously, I do not think, intended in the episode, which I think is part of the problem. They didn't really think through what Armus is supposed to be or what mm -hmm. he, they are supposed to represent. Yes. But it's interesting that they kind of accidentally stumbled into something that you can think about because the way that we tend to think about evil now and to be clear I, that's not exact this is not really represented by a lot of the theories of evil that came about after world war ii but a lot of the ways that we like to think about evil in modern society is very individualized the, mm -hmm. you know world war the horrible things that happened during world war ii happened because hitler was evil the one dude was evil, he got into power, and a lot of evil things happened. And that explains the thing. And, you know, all those uh, generals and advisors and, uh, you know, uh, uh, party uh, uh, faithful at the top there, you know, they were, you know, they, they would have been, been doing who knows what other thing that isn't necessarily so uh, awful if he wasn't there. And once again, I'm having to say, that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> mm -hmm. But when you get to Armas they are represented as an individual but through their backstory we learn that they are not in fact an individual they are mm -hmm. the collective negativity of an entire civilization indeed which if you look at a lot of a lot of theories of how evil things happen that is a lot more of our contemporary way of thinking it is a system of it is a, it is a system of things that all lead to a especially negative outcome when in a lot of cases no particular individual had to have had that much of an evil intention yeah sort of a uh, uh a little bit of evil from a lot of different sources creates a big evil now in the case of something truly horrifying which we were dealing with in like world war ii you had a lot of people believing really really horrible things and 
putting those horrible things into action. Though they were all convinced that they were doing a net positive for themselves. Mm -hmm. They were able to dehumanize and convince themselves that others were evil. So any harm that they did to that group was, of course, good. Which uh, I would suppose in this particular case for Armis that uh, that was not their particular problem. Uh, the, uh, the people that were casting him off... Uh, but then again, we don't necessarily have enough time to explore that possibility as far in terms of character development. Well, yeah, unless they were incredibly xenophobic and that got put into their general evil pool, mm -hmm. um, the amount of stuff that you need to do to be able to completely dehumanize someone until to the idea that destroying another human being would actually be a good act for you to partake in, like that you are doing a moral good by killing a bunch of people. You need a lot of stuff to line up for that to happen beforehand. Indeed. Um, and fortunately, though, that does happen with folks. And yeah. So overall, well, I don't think that they really intended it. Having an amalgamation being doing the truly evil things does lead you to some interesting stuff there. Because maybe no mm -hmm. particular individual in this was particularly bad. Yeah, but an amalgamation of all of that becomes like capable of just needless killing and all this other junk <laughs> i guess it's also sort of you know interesting that uh armis sort of you know rejects the value of life stuff right from the start uh that you know you know it's obviously a thinking creature that it is perhaps you know you know internally uh you know evaluated itself and decided I'm just not going to have any sort of uh, concept, uh, you know, as far as what would be a moral good uh, at all. Uh, and so I'm just going to sort of reject, you know, anything that, you know, does not bring me pleasure as, you know, something to be either frustrated with or ignored. Uh, well, that one is particularly interesting as like extreme hedonism. Mm -hmm. um, not precisely hedonism does not usually get into sadism but is an extreme it's like anything that doesn't bring me immediate pleasure is not worth considering but it very much immediately sets up a clear black and white dichotomy the way that they want you to think about it when in mm -hmm. fact you could have some amount of debate there the yeah. federation's <laughs> stated concept is all life is inherently valuable and worth doing whatever is necessary to preserve. Armis is saying, I disagree with that assertion. Neither of them is making a particular argument. Yeah. <laughs> but all we're doing is saying the, the one side saying all life is intrinsically valuable and should be preserved is the good side and disagreeing with that is the evil side. When I think philosophically, well, I haven't done enough research on this, you could in fact have a actual debate about this like you know Armis is like i'm you know uh you know if you give me a moment to explain i i, I view viruses as alive and i think they should all be destroyed ah. yeah you definitely wind <laughs> up into some problems with that kind of uh that kind of concept right if all life is if all life is worth being preserved you run into an inherent conflict when some life has to be sacrificed in order for other life to live mm-hmm and uh, all, all the, uh, yeah, the dangerous bacteria, that needs to go too. And the mosquitoes, screw those guys. <laughs> <laughs> or even something as, or something as simple as a predator-prey dynamic. Like, well, uh, you know, these wolves are hungry. Uh, if we don't have something to feed them, then uh, 
you know, what, what should we do? <laughs> like, unless try... this ecosystem has been completely destroyed, just replicating meat for all the predators do- isn't very viable. And they have to have incredibly controlled breeding programs for the not for the non-predators, the herbivores. Otherwise, they're going to have a population boom and eat themselves to death. Exactly. So you gotta have to sort of uh, make a uh, a certain allowment uh, allowment for you know natural systems that have you know death as part of the you know components there to continue to be you know you know acting as they are because otherwise yeah you're gonna have to basically be the full time manager of uh you know your entire environment you know 24 7 here in order to meet this particular high standard of uh you know you know uh, you know valuing all life and wanting it to you know effectively live for as long as possible now something that they never really get into with any of these this is evil creatures which you hit a few times we had almost exactly the same thing in uh in the animated series with the uh the entity that takes over the ship briefly mm-hmm uh, you wind up just leaving them on these planets when yeah. they state that part of their motivation is that they are alone and friendless and unhappy. Yes. It's like, well, uh, we're going to, you know, punish you for taking over our ship by, you know, making the thing that motivates you to try to take over our ship, you know, you know make it just worse, you know. Which is also a particularly re- like modern religious view of evil in that it is so intrinsic to the entity that no amount of circumstance is going to change that. Hmm. Yeah, there is uh, no room for evolution. There's no, uh, you know, room for forgiveness, even. Uh, so, you know, better uh, cast it aside and uh, leave it there forever, and hopefully no one picks it up. <laughs> and in fact, well, I think also unintentional, the very first thing they say to Armus is that they value all life over everything else. They identify Armus as a form of life due to his interactions with them. Mm-hmm. Then Picard spitefully abandons him to his professed torturous solitude. Yes. <laughs> it's like, well, so you, you, I guess, technically didn't kill him, but, you know, you're going to make him suffer forever. Uh, congrats on being the good guy? Question mark. And... You know, you could definitely see that as the, as that kind of spiteful thing, like that thing they do in Doctor Who all the time, which could work very well for a character like that in this instance. Like, you, you, you know, needlessly killed one of my crew members, and I'm going to do something out of anger. Mm-hmm. Like, you always have several of the Doctor Who series have had a have always have that like, oh, now I'm taking things seriously, and you should not have ticked me off moment. Yeah, I wanted to, uh, you know, play nice with you and, you know, lead you out of this path that you were going on, but you decided violence instead. Mm-hmm. Kind of wonder now, uh, you know, if, uh, you know, okay, so you don't let Armus have a shuttle or anything like that, but what if you uh, beamed down a communication relay? Made it a, yeah, that probably would be a good way to start. You could have someone yeah. talk to him for ages. Yes. <laughs> See if they're uh, reforming, then slowly let them into situations where they can interact with more and more living entities. Exactly. You know, uh, you know, be sort of a full-time job for, uh, you know, the person talking to, uh, to them. But, you know, if, you know, you, you really do want this, uh, you know, entity to be able to, you know, thrive and, you know, live the be- its best life, then that's kind of what you need to do. Uh, you know, you know, don't 
fall within its uh, you know sphere of uh, you know make your shuttle crash, of course. But you know, start chatting with it and uh, see if you can uh, you know you know change as you know as far as you know you know giving up that whole murder people for no reason stuff. It just seems interesting that they they just didn't really explore a lot of stuff they could, which also ticks me off a little bit given that they definitely didn't explore the tragedy of a character death to focus on this other plot line that they also didn't explore in any particular way yeah <laughs> it's like come on guys if you can't do a uh, you know either your plots justice you know given you have this other plot going on then maybe just stick to one Sorry, I'm still thinking about uh, someone on a, uh, a you know a radio call with uh, Armis here, and uh, maybe it leads to maybe an interesting sort of dilemma, something sort of akin to a, a Turing test. You know, uh, at what point can you say that Armis has been you know uh, reformed to the point of being uh, approachable in a you know face to face sort of situation here uh, mm-hmm. that you know. You know, you know, if Armis is, uh, you know, capable of, uh, you know, self-lying, obviously can lie to others. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can have a situation where it tries to basically weasel its way into such a meeting in order to get, you know, leverage, you know, to uh, escape its situation. Um, so, uh, you know, what sort of, I guess, you know, ways to sort of uh, safeguard against that if it's, only you know uh, a voice communication or even video potentially oh you can't i mean you have some minor (laughs) things but this is a problem too that people want these freaking people want to solve these problems in a no trust scenario yes and you just can't it doesn't work i guess uh there is uh maybe a a very star trek uh, point where you know someone maybe like, you know, five or six people down the road, you know, in terms of people who have talked to Armis for uh, lengthy periods of time, spending decades and decades being his friend and things like that, uh, decides, you know what, I'm going to offer my hand of trust. And if he, you know, kills me, tortures me, uses me to do horrible things, whatever, then that will be sort of a, uh, a warning that, you know, for people down the road that, you know, maybe you know a few more centuries is probably a good wait before uh giving another uh, opportunity um, well the sad thing really is at the end you did demonstrate the 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 concept the he's not going to he's not going to kill the last of the people around because then he'd just be all lonely again mm-hmm. so i guess to a certain degree you could you know just have someone even show up but only one so anyway lower decks <laughs> yeah that was the only funny thing they did with him <laughs> you know if, uh, for folks who've not seen it uh, slight spoilers I guess but uh, they're the uh, you know a sort of a gag for one of the episodes like yeah we can uh, have our voice appear on uh, you know a planet over yonder and uh, let's go bother Armus <laughs> and so they do <laughs> yeah there's a lot of stuff that they could have explored more deeply here that uh, yeah it just gets left by the wayside again <sighs> but i guess i do have one final thing to maybe uh, bring up here mm. uh, is armis being what he is in terms of a, a creation uh is he 
in the at the end of the day, morally responsible for his damage. I mean, you really get into a bit of a debate on free will at that point. Indeed, <laughs> if like, he it, was, and you know, we aren't yeah, given you, enough you know, of inf- enough information to be able to know its internal thought processes. True. You know, if this is a being that was effectively devised uh, to always be the most bad it can be, uh, then you know it's you know, and and to resist any sort of evolution away from that pattern. Uh, because you know, otherwise it's not our incarnation of evil that we've left behind. You could have a situation where, even if Armus wants to, you know, effectively reform, you could, you know, it might be internally, uh, you know, uh, set up to not be able to. At which point, it's kind of screwed in terms of, uh, you know, having a full de- uh, ability to make decisions. Well, you really only have two realistic scenarios to look at on this. Well, like possibly three because we've covered one a bit earlier. Yeah. Either this, whatever it is, is not really a fully sentient being capable of making its own decisions. It just does evil things because that's what it's there for. Making it essentially a machine, putting the moral responsibility back onto those that created it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Or the evilness is simply an overwhelming part of its being so even though it wants to make may want to make different decisions they just can't because of the overwhelming drive of the the evilness that was put into them this gets into a very very complicated dilemma that we would have to spend a lot more time unpacking on to how much you judge a moral agent based on compulsion indeed if someone has a overwhelming, uncontrollable, you know, psychological compulsion that makes them really, really uncontrollably want to smack you, are they morally, like, are they morally culpable for that action or not? Yeah, and, uh, you know, they might attempt to resist this, but they are might their their conscious decision making processes might not be uh, capable of preventing them from doing such things. And, uh, you know, and so yet it's a sort of a, uh, you know, this is you know, maybe not a, you know, person that is engaged in a, you know, willful, uh, uh, you know, act of uh, evil here, but is, you know, effectively, ben- you know, uh, mentally ill. Uh, and so, you know, how you sort of think about and treat this person would be a bit, you know, different than, uh, you know, this person is just always bad and, you know, sort of this absolutist sort of uh, view there. And then you have the other scenario, which is the Armus is evil because they are in a particularly bad situation, in which case a lot of the moral uh, a lot of the moral culpability falls on to all of those who con- conspired to create said situation. Mm-hmm. So once again, we have to call up the Arganians and say, hey, guys, <laughs> or, you know, whoever it is actually involved uh, as far as this uh, initial creation and then they'll be like, so uh, Picard, you just sort of left him there. And like, oh, uh, yeah, I guess we could have maybe tried to fix the situation somewhat here. Um, hmm. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> but we don't explore any of that, too. That does get into whether or not you feel like this entity is sentient enough to count as a moral agent or not. Yes. Uh, Which they and- don't really give you enough to figure out. Yeah, we, uh, well, you try to at least uh, establish that it's alive yeah super hardcore at the beginning 
But as far as, you know, that sort of, you know, upper level sort of evaluation, yeah, we kind of stopped thinking about things before then. All right. I think that's everything everyone had. Well, I, I, there is one more thing I wanted to sort of bring up there, and that's the one bit where uh, Armus uh, asks, uh, you know, Data what he thinks, and Data's like, you know, you know, no redeeming values. I think you must be destroyed. Well, that's the other side of the compulsion argument, or possibly the machine argument, either mm-hmm. of those. Yes. You get into a scenario where something cannot, if something is fully incapable of not doing harm, then the only then you left with a scenario in which you have to remove them from the ability to do harm which leaves you with either completely removing the thing from contact with anything it could do harm to which as armis stated entirely is harmful to themselves Indeed. or you destroy them hopefully mercifully in a un unpainful way in order to continue to prevent them from doing harm and there's a particularly bad set of arguments that you get into with that but largely it would be completely dependent on the ability of reform or not indeed and uh but it seems here that data uh either th- is uh going pro death penalty or is has made an d- internal decision that armis is uh you know more on the machine side of things in terms of uh, you know, uh, you know, control and you know, action reaction sort of situations here. Um, but uh, you know, if it's the if it's that former one though, that's kind of a big deal given that we uh, you know have already kind of established about uh, data and things like that. Uh, you know, and much more as we th- get you know things further uh, you know uh, forward that you know it's like I have an ethical pro- program. He states later uh, that you know helps him make good decisions and things like that. So the only time that he's, you know, willing to, you know, directly harm or kill someone uh, is, you know, basically save somebody else's life or in some very, very specific situations where, you know, uh, you know, to basically prevent the same. Um, And to have that be uh, sort of what he states here is, I guess, kind of telling in terms of what his sort of evaluation of the situation is. But anyway, I just wanted to sort of bring that up because it's sort of like a interesting uh, sort of character uh, moment there that's all i got <laughs> well it could be more interesting if they spent any time exploring anything in this episode yes <laughs> but again we have two plots that uh should really have been separated and so we don't got time to reflect alas yeah. <laughs> but when we don't have any time to reflect we just amuse ourselves with the galaxy's favorite game show Hey everybody, welcome to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. We got uh, some contestants here, some of them from a remote planet that are uh, just dripping with excitement to uh, to uh, see how their uh, scores have been uh, tallied up here. And so let's get into it. The first prize to hand out is the uh, Wharf Maneuver Prize, which goes to Tasha this time for uh, as being, you know, hinted as being a badass and all that, is just kind of killed unceremoniously by Armas. What does Tasha win, Yepin? Well, given where modern Star Trek has been going, Tasha gets a un a previously unknown hidden backstory where this was just a front for her getting recruited by Section Thirteen. Hmm. 
Well, it's either that or, uh, you know, time travel paradoxes. But who who would do an episode like that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. In fact, they probably have for uh, the, the section people there. Anyway, our next prize is the Evil Incarnate Prize, which goes to Armus for at least thinking he's this. And being kind of a complete bastard on top of that, uh, when does Armus win, Gepwin? Armus wins some sort of, like, amusement park zoo enclosure. So he says he's bored, so you really could just bring people over. It's like, come see the epitome of all evil, and then you can have him, like, blow up a pumpkin or something. Ooh, look at that. (laughs) We we love pumpkins on our planet. It's it's doing evil! (laughs) The uh, final prize here is uh, the What Were They Thinking prize, because you know, basically to everyone who mishandled Denise Crosby and the other women characters of the show to this point and beyond, because seriously, you you should have given them so much better material here. Come on, guys. What are these, these, uh, these this, this disappointment uh, situation and everyone involved, uh, what do they win, Gepwin? I mean, they're not going to, but they should win more of a reckoning with the fan base than they're getting. Because there are a lot of people that made a lot of bad decisions on these shows, and they get way too defended nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, remember, folks, uh, if you're uh, defending someone who is, uh, well, kind of like Armus, a complete bastard, maybe maybe you should just stop. Hmm. Just, a, just a suggestion. Anyway, that's all I got here for uh, today, Gepwood, in terms of prizes to hand out. Though the scores will keep uh, climbing for next time on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. Thank you for joining us and possibly not being as evil as a lot of the contestants. Here on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! Oh, do you like t- uh, t- messing with time? Eh, sort of. Hmm. If you do it in an interesting way. Well, uh, can we do it in an interesting way in Star Trek? Later. As in next episode later? Uh, not that much, no. Hmm. Get into other seasons before we get into particularly good time things. Time <laughs> shenanigans. At least... At least for this upcoming episode, uh, we get an episode with uh, too many datas. Yeah, too many datas is fun. <laughs> I mean, this isn't so much time travel as it is a metaphor for regret. So, Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I guess it is important to always regret messing with time. <laughs> right? So <laughs> next time is an episode that everyone will go, oh, yeah, that one. I kind of remember that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I believe there's also a scene on the holodeck. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. It's an episode called We'll Always Have Paris, um, which ostensibly is about a dude who's messing with space time and it goes sort of wrong and they have to come in and fix it, but mostly is about how Picard could have had sex with someone and didn't and regrets it. Hmm. Well, Picard, uh, if you had, maybe, uh, you know, you would have been uh, happily married uh, and uh, you wouldn't have been, uh, you know, the captain of this particular ship. Or maybe you've been an admiral sitting at a desk job by this point. Or maybe all sorts of other different possibilities. And uh, that means that uh, further down the road, when, uh, you know, the Borg, uh, you know, uh, you know, invade, uh, the Federation gets assimilated and, uh, and uh, you know, you'll still have Paris, I guess, at that point just be a little different yeah now we don't have to do tapestry so 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Different just regrets. Over most of the plot with that, anyway. <laughs> Different regrets from different time travel shenanigans. <laughs> so yeah, this episode's not actually particularly uh, noteworthy. It's named after a line from Casablanca. They kind of ape some of it. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a scene with multiple datas and some interesting special effects that uh, mm-hmm. some people have talked about regretting because they did it mostly with camera work. Yes. <laughs> Though, uh, you know, uh, you know, having too many datas is also a thing from Casablanca, right? Yes. All right. Just want to make sure. Yeah, that famous thing where he walks in. It's like, of all the bars in all the world, why are there too many datas in this one? <laughs> I don't know, but they have 27 seconds to do a thing. <laughs> so I know one remembers it because it's less than 30 seconds of the movie. And then it's resolved and no one talks about it ever again. Yeah. Captain, uh, what cities will we always have? I don't know. The, everywhere that I've been is going to wind up underwater in a few years. Hmm. Well, my area is probably going to be like, I don't know, brush fires a little bit after that. What, what, where can we, we you know, go hang out somewhere that's uh, not <laughs> going to be either melting or underwater? <laughs> I don't know. Somewhere high up. Hmm. Uh, Fairbanks, also, Alaska? sounds very poetic. <laughs> poetic, yeah. <laughs> we'll always have Fairbanks. <laughs> So it doesn't flow. Doesn't somehow doesn't flow as well mm. because we're just not used to it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we'll always have yellow knife. That doesn't work either. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next oh. time we're messing with time and regretting lost loves and creeping on holographic women that may or may not be based on the person you regret. It's very confusing. Yeah. Yes. Blame the binars. <laughs> yeah, I know they upgraded the thing to they upgraded the holodeck to be horny that that's the whole thing mm-hmm. so anyway next time we are gonna have that place in france that picard probably knows even though he has the wrong accent next time on watchers of tomorrow manheim causes mayhem have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more, and where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>